0: Crazy, Do you have man. any plans on what you are going to talk about? Nah, I'm just going
1: to wing it. Okay. <laughs> cool. You're listening to In situ Science, where each episode we meet a different scientist and find out about their stories behind the discoveries that they make. I'm your host James O'Hanlon and this episode I am joined by science communicator, podcaster and astronomer Christine McMonigold. Christy, thanks so much for coming on the podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: Now, if you hear noises in the background, we may have a little other guest on the podcast who's joining us.
0: Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> Felix, my four-month-old son who is very noisy and <laughs> likes to randomly squawk and squeak and squeal.
1: Yeah, so this is your first kid. Yes. How's it going?
0: It's good. Yeah. It's um a lot easier than I thought it would be. Which <laughs> really? You're not meant to admit. <laughs> no. Um and uh I think the main thing is he sleeps really well. Great. So I think I'm pretty lucky there. Yeah. And uh, my husband and I are definitely enjoying doing all of the science psychology experiments on him that we can <laughs> do.
1: Well, that's why you did a second one, right? Yes. To raise him differently. Yeah. <laughs> and are you handling all the people now? Telling you how to raise kids, I feel like that happens.
0: I choose to ignore most of them. <laughs> what I find is there are some people who give you really good advice that starts with, this is what worked for me. Yeah. And you go, okay, great, that does or doesn't work. And other yeah. people go, no, you have to do it this way. <laughs> those are the people that I ignore.
1: I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm at that age where everybody around me is having kids and I'm just hearing all these conversations. where, As soon as they have a kid, they're all just lectured by yeah. everyone, even people that don't have kids.
0: It starts as soon as you're pregnant. <laughs> i got told off for walking to work i have a oh. half hour walk to work and someone at work said to me oh you shouldn't be walking you've got to look after yourself How pregnant were you <laughs> i mean even when i was you know fully nine months pregnant i could still walk half an hour because i was yeah, able to if i couldn't enough. do it i wouldn't do it but they recommend yeah. doing exercise i'm going to follow the doctors and not the people who had babies in the 50s when you just sat
1: in bed all day so my pet peeve were people that would chime in with pet stories yep. <laughs> and I recently got a dog and look at me I'm doing it as soon as you talk parenting my brain straight away goes to yeah while well, he's a fussy eater yeah, yeah.
0: I know people are like oh yeah my dog kept me up last night too. yeah, yeah.
1: Well, I mean I, I feel myself saying it in my head but I keep my mouth shut So <laughs> that's fair enough but we should probably talk science and stuff. Alrighty. Right. Well, I wanted to start the podcast by asking you a question that I'm sure you've had lots of time to think about. What does STEM mean to you, Christine? Oh,
0: that's a mean question. <laughs> I ask everyone else that question. I don't ask myself that one. <laughs> STEM, to me, I guess, is it's about understanding how the world works. And you can approach that in many different ways. So you can approach it through science. Mm -hmm. That would be the baby. You can approach it through science and through research and you can approach it through technology and engineering and you can approach it through mathematical focus. They're all slightly different ways of learning how the world works, manipulating how the world works for us to make our lives easier and better Mm. and I think it's just about understanding and knowledge which I think is amazing. Mm. STEM, every part of STEM is just interesting and fascinating and even if you're not a, and a high-level researcher in the field STEM impacts your life every day, and I think it's mm. really cool that for people to have an understanding and appreciation of it.
1: So I should clarify. I asked that question because it is the trademark—I don't know—of <laughs> the STEM Punk podcasts, of which you're a co-host. Yes. Uh, how, uh, tell us about the STEM Punk podcast.
0: Well, it's a podcast between me and uh, two of my friends, Shane and Tom, and we. We're all science communicators actually at different universities and we uh, got together one day and just said we wanted to do something Mm. with science communication, with our skills and backgrounds and what we find quite passionate. Mm. And um, so we were just sitting there chatting actually uh, during National Science Week and just decided to do a podcast. And the focus is a bit more on a podcast for other science communicators. So we talk Mm -hmm. about what we do, what works for us, Uh, And what we really enjoy about science communication, as opposed to a lot of podcasts that are about, here's a really cool thing in science Mm. to teach people about science. So we're not so much teaching people about science, we're talking about the struggles, challenges and innovations in science communication itself. (laughs) We also like to interview cool scientists.
1: (laughs) We usually are interviewing scientists who have a public... Yeah. Presents and our communicators as well yeah. as scientists. Yeah. That's true. So I've interviewed Tom and Shan, so I'm completing my stem punk hat trick. Nice. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> um, but I was going to ask from doing this podcast and from asking that single question over and over again, have you ever been surprised by answers you get? Have you learnt something?
0: Yeah, I find it quite interesting, particularly, I think. My background is in physics, and I see physics as really about the, the as sort of how lots of things work from a more physical point of view, I guess. And when you talk mm. to someone who is a biologist, they talk about how uh, plants and animals can connect, and they think I feel like they see more of the world in terms of how different areas influence each other. And so the answers can be quite different mm. just based on the different fields they're from. My favourite is when I ask someone and their answer is just oh, it's "science, technology, engineering." Yeah,
1: because I've listened to these and I was really surprised that comes up.
0: And, and every night sort again, of, you stop and you go, <laughs> "Yes, that is what the acronym means." But what what does it mean to you? Why is it an acronym? Why you, know, mm. you have to often go into a bit more detail with some people? Um, but I always really enjoy the answers because it's really it's fun just to see what people think think it means and what they why they value it. Mm. You know why they've gone into the field. And I can't think of an example of, you know, one that's been the most interesting, but I do Mm. find they're all very, very different and very, just engaging answers, Mm. you know, quite unique. They're cool.
1: And it's quite nice probably for the scientists because they probably rarely have the opportunity to articulate that. You know, you just start working and you start doing stuff. You never really stop and ask why You're, you're so passionate about these particular things
0: I think people are often shocked at how hard it is to answer the question.
1: Yeah. Well, it seems so fundamental yeah. when you're working in the field.
0: Yeah, we always talk about we work in STEM. We promote STEM. STEM is really important. But when you really stop and ask someone, what is STEM? What does it mean to them? Mm. You can see this look in their eyes of just, oh, I hadn't really thought of that before.
1: Yeah. How
0: do I articulate this thing that I am so passionate about? Well, I think
1: because I was on the podcast and Shane interviewed me and asked me that. And he gave me some time to prepare an answer. And it was really good because I realized a connection that I hadn't seen before. Is that when I work, I do science. And then when I'm at home, I do, I make stuff. Mm. I do the, more the, I guess the engineering side of things. But not even engineering, just, I don't know, craft. And I like to create. And I sculpt and I draw. And being asked that question made me realize that I was kind of doing the same Thing with science and with making, and that I'm contributing something to the world around me, be it That's knowledge, awesome. be it a picture of a bear that I drew, or something <laughs> that wasn't there before. Yeah. And I got a bit philosophical with Shannon, and I said, Well, you know, it, it justifies my existence because I'm contributing to the universe. That sounds very airy-fairy, but you know, I, I haven't just lived. I have given something that wasn't there before. And that could be a really tiny piece of knowledge or a little piece of creativity that probably no one will ever see, but at least it's there. And I find that very fulfilling.
0: I like that. That's a good way to view it.
1: (laughs) I think I've been also I've been listening to a lot of the the tested podcasts, the still untitled, I don't know if you listen to those I do not. It's Adam Savage he has a podcast, oh, yeah. and they just talk about making and why you make stuff, and they get very philosophical about it, and it it's quite nice, because things like engineering and technology can seem very, I don't know, methodical, or,
0: yeah. I think you know, they're not really seen a, as arts. Yeah, making is a good sort of almost like a, a gateway into STEM for a lot of people. Because mm. I think a lot of a lot of school kids hate science. You know, mm. They think it's really hard and boring. But then you get them to make something yeah. and they go, oh, this is cool. And if you, especially if you give them a really open brief, mm. then they can be really, really engaged in what they're doing and not realise they're doing STEM. Not realise yeah. that they've just done some science or some maths or some engineering, these things that are big words that mean scary, boring subjects yeah, for yeah. a lot of students. And then... You've kind of tricked them into actually discovering that STEM is really interesting. Yeah,
1: and just doing trial and error is essentially yeah. running experiments to see what works and what doesn't. You know, it's, it's very nice. Good. We're on common ground. <laughs> so, And how's the podcast going?
0: Well, I have to admit that I have um, not been very good as a podcast well, member for the last few months. you raising a new human. I've been a bit distracted um, raising the tiny human, mm-hmm. um, who's not so tiny, I have to admit. He looks... He's, he's the size of an average nine-month-old, and he's four months old.
1: Just like my dog. He's a big puppy. He's a... <laughs> Sorry, go <laughs> um,
0: But yes, yeah, so he's been quite distracting, so I have to admit that I have fallen a bit behind in the podcast. But I believe we're doing quite well. Yes, um, and you've we have got stuff
1: planned for this year.
0: Yeah, we've got some exciting events and activities planned. Mm-hmm. We're going to do a few more uh, STEM quiz, which was our science, technology, engineering, and maths quiz in a pub that we did mm-hmm. at Wayward Brewing Co. So that was lots of fun. We did that for National Science Week last year. Yeah, We're going to do some more of those again this year and a few other bits and pieces we've got planned. Uh, and I'm actually... I've got a bunch of scientists, mostly astronomers because of where I work, uh, <laughs> lined up to interview as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the next sort of few weeks, I'm going to start doing that, which should be good fun. And then I'll be able to actually contribute some podcasts to our podcast list, which I haven't done for a while now. (laughs) And we're going to do a a Global Astronomy Month podcast as well. So we're going to record that soon and hopefully get that up in April, which is Global Astronomy Month.
1: Well, let's talk about that because I'm going to try and get this podcast out in time for Astronomy (laughs) Month. So you're working with Astronomers Without Borders to sort of coordinate this event.
0: Yep. So well, I guess
1: first of all, we'll tell us about the event.
0: Well, the what? event, it's the Global Astronomy Month every year in April. It's the world's largest annual celebration of astronomy. Okay. Uh, and he's found a squeaky toy. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Give um, some ambiance. Yeah.
1: So the recording.
0: Uh, so it started with International Year of Astronomy in 2009. Mm-hmm. And so after that, they've done every month this month-long celebration. We have a whole range of different programs and activities that happen across the world. So we've got... Uh, webinars where we get big names in various fields to get together and chat. We've got astro arts programs where we combine astronomy and art, and we have some mm-hmm. really cool artists on that. We've got the virtual telescope, which do live online observing sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he's keeping himself entertained. Yeah, I think he's. I think he wants attention at this point. You can,
1: you can grab him if
0: like <laughs> we'll just uh, get the baby yeah now are you going to be quiet hi I know it's very exciting
1: Ugh. okay Sorry, I'm sure Let's he listens into science conversations all the time
0: now you have to not be too noisy
1: <laughs> great hair going yeah,
0: it's got this great curl <laughs> <laughs> Um, where was I?
1: Virtual Telescope. Oh, is Virtual
0: like- Telescope, yeah. So they, do, they have a telescope that they point at various objects in the sky and then they do a live feed onto the internet. Mm-hmm. And so you can tune in from anywhere in the world and join in on this live observing session, which is really, really cool because for a lot of people, they've never looked through a telescope before and this is a chance for them to actually see it live and they can chat with other people from different parts of the world all mm. looking at the same thing, which is really exciting. Um, we have Global Star Parties. So this is where people all around the world throw star parties, so observing sessions. They bring telescopes, they set them up. They invite people in their area to come along and have a look through them. And the idea is that everyone does it on the same day, which this year is the 1st of April. Mm -hmm. And so they all get together and we talk about our motto, which is one people, one sky. So it doesn't matter where you are in the world. Mm. You can go to a star party, look at the sky and learn a bit of astronomy, which is really good fun. Mm. I
1: feel like astronomy is having a bit of a renaissance. I think so. I mean, the obvious examples are people like Neil deGrasse tyson who sort of bring that back into the public sphere. Do you feel that as well?
0: I think so. I think that there's been it's I don't know what it is, but it's just becoming less of a niche. Like, Mm. more people are realising you can be interested in astronomy without being a super science nerd conforming to that stereotype that people have about people that do science, which is really sad that that exists. Anyway, (laughs) but People are realising that they can be interested in astronomy and they can look through a telescope and see something that's beyond this Earth, which is just fascinating. Mm I definitely think that uh, social media has contributed to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Astrophotography. I think people taking these amazing photos of just, you know, nightscapes, of aurora, of stars, of the Milky Way, and people start to see just how beautiful astronomy is. Mm -hmm. So it's appealing to the artistic side of people. It's one of those things
1: that... Really, I don't know, groans people, I think, is that looking outwards. Mm. I mean, I guess for both of us living in Sydney, you don't really get to see stars all that often.
0: Not a whole lot. And any time there's an astronomical event in Sydney, it seems to be cloudy. Yeah. I used to work at Sydney Observatory and there'd be comets or there'd be an eclipse or there'd be something. And every single time I worked on a special event night, it was cloudy. (laughs) I worked there for almost 10 years.
1: So what do you do on during those events when you've got people coming out to see something and you realise that nobody's going to see anything? <laughs> well, we do our best. So <laughs> if
0: it's not raining, we can still open the dome and then we go and point the telescope at objects in the city. So buildings, <laughs> clock towers, the Harbour Bridge. We also have a planetarium, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. So that definitely makes up for it because we only bring that out... Um, on normal event nights, at least, if it's raining. Mm-hmm. So if you can't get a proper telescope viewing, you do a planetarium instead. Mm-hmm. And that's really cool, because then you get to see constellations and have them pointed out really clearly. And, mm. and they've got some really cool videos that play
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: on the dome, which is really, really interesting. And they're very well done.
1: But yeah, I always feel like whenever I get the opportunity to go out into the middle of nowhere, where I actually get to see stars... It's a a moment that you have to cherish, Mm -hmm. and I will always just make the opportunity just to go for a walk on my own and just to look. Yeah. And it's those little moments where you just feel small. Yeah. And I think for some people that might seem scary or intimidating, for me, I I, I love it. It, I like (laughs) it. I just
0: find it amazing just to think about how tiny we really are compared Mm. to everything out there. I'm also not allowed to drive at night. It's a self-enforced ban. but um, if I drive at night in the country, I get too distracted by the stars. And it just becomes way too dangerous because I'll be driving along and go, whoa, I'll watch the road. Um, So I don't drive at night in the country at Mm. all because I I just can't. So either someone else has to drive or we have to stop so I can at least get my fill of looking at the stars and then Mm. I can drive.
1: About this time last year, I went to Canada... And specifically booked a week away, as far as I could get from anywhere, in the middle of nowhere. I was really looking forward to seeing night skies and I was high up enough to see northern lights. Uh. And every single night it was either cloudy or enormous bright full moon. Oh, that's you gonna a, <laughs> that's see? the way it works.
0: <laughs> I climbed Fuji last year. Right. I was really excited to be on Fuji. I was gonna be right up the top. Ooh. Uh, we were going to summit uh, just before sunrise, so you can see the sunrise, but also because then you'd be walking at night and get yeah. to see this guy. Um, it was raining the whole time. Uh, <laughs> I actually got hypothermia and had to pull out and didn't make it to the top. Wow. Um, it was way too cold. It was horrible, and I saw nothing in the end, which was very disappointing. <laughs>
1: actually, that happened. I went to Japan and really wanted to see Mount Fuji. And yeah, one day we were passing it, it was stupidly cloudy. (laughs) And I was on a tour group, and that was one of the stops. And the tour guides essentially just pointing off into the mist, going, well...
0: Behind those clouds. There would
1: be a giant mountain There is
0: there one. We promise it's there. (laughs) I did see the aurora, though. Um, Really? Well, not in Japan. We went to Finland in uh, their winter of 2014, Mm -hmm. And we were there for three nights, and the first two, it was cloudy. Mm. And then the last night, we did this Aurora hunting tour thing. (laughs) And it was cloudy, and we set out, and they're like, well, we're going to go anyway. You get to get pulled by reindeer-pulled sleds, which is kind (laughs) of cool. So we're sitting in these sleds, and they take us for this sort of ride through the snow, and it's cloudy. There's nothing. I mean, it was freezing. It was really... It was a good experience. And then we get to the final stop, where they give you the like this hot cordial stuff which would probably taste (laughs) gross anywhere but in the middle of winter in Finland yeah so we stop and we drink that and then just as we're getting ready to pop back in the the, um the things and turn around and go back again the clouds break and these bright green snakes of aurora come through and it was just
1: amazing
0: (laughs) but the poor guides were like we're done, we need to go home now. We have families we want to get back to and all the, the tourists are there going, Whoa, look at the Aurora, it's amazing. Um, but it was it was so cool.
1: Yeah.
0: And then um we were actually we we splashed out a bit of this holiday and stayed in one of those glass igloos. So that night we were staying in this glass igloo and you could look up from your bed and see the aurora over wow. the top of the igloo. It was The most amazing experience of my life. Yeah. I'm so glad it cleared up and we got that. Yeah,
1: you'd be pretty annoyed if you'd shelled out for it and it was (laughs) cloudy. Yeah, the
0: first night in the igloo, it was snowing, so it was just white. Mm. You may as well have been in a room with a, you know, white roof.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It is nice that we have this new appreciation for astronomy, and it's without the ombly-gombly stuff. I think, <laughs> I feel like, you know, in the past, people were very interested in, in astronomy, but it was always tied up with astrology and yeah. bits and pieces, which now it just seems to be the sheer fascination. It's very much tied in with science outreach and yeah. even you know, physics education and things like that.
0: I think astronomy is a good sort of gateway science. I said mm. that before about making, didn't I? But I find <laughs> astronomy works really well, particularly for kids. Because I have never seen a kid look through a telescope and go, oh, yeah, whatever. Mm. Every time I've had a kid look through a telescope, especially if it's their first time, they've always been like, whoa, that's amazing. <laughs> and that, I think, is really nice. And their parents see the kids react like that. So the mm. parents get more interested in it because they're sort of seeing it again through a child's eyes. Yeah. And I think astronomy just really allows for that, just to really, really think about our place in the world. But just also to appreciate how beautiful everything is.
1: Yeah, and do you think that's why people are grabbing onto it? Because it allows them to position themselves in the universe a bit?
0: Maybe. Maybe for a few people, as long as they don't think about it too hard and then get sad about how to (laughs) do it I just, I really think that one of the main reasons astronomy is doing so well at the moment is because it's it's in the media. We're seeing it with, like you said, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Mm. uh, Even things like social media science pages they share photos of astronomy things Mm. because they're pretty and people like them and then they get spread and then everyone sees them and they have an amazing reach. Mm. So they're good from them from a company point of view, you know, um, helping them to spread their page and Mm. promotion. But then everyone just constantly sees photos of astronomy and starts to get more engaged with it and realise that it's really cool.
1: It's interesting. I feel like when I was... Becoming interested in science. It was Peak Attenborough mm. and BBC Earth and things, and that was, so that was the field that Science Outreach. Yeah, and yep. now it's you know there's been a change of guard. Yeah. Uh, it's physics and astronomy and things, which is great. I'm biased because you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, see, I've got the physics background, so I think it's
0: amazing. But yeah, you're right, growing up, I can't really remember ever looking through a telescope until probably my late teens Mm. and that would have been a one-off at some event Um, but yeah like you'd go to museums and they'd show you animal fossils or they'd show you other things that were much more in Mm. the bio sort of field I think that was where it was and yeah astronomy is taking over.
1: So what caused you then to start studying astronomy and physics?
0: What actually got me into astronomy was ancient history. Oh.
1: Um, tell, do tell.
0: I loved ancient Greek history. I loved the myths and the legends. Uh, and one day I was reading one of those books about various myths and legends, and it talked about how they, you know, the gods to honour so and so put them up into the sky as a constellation, mm. um, like Orion or something similar. And then. We went out that night and my dad, I think, pointed out Orion to Mm. me or whatever constellation it was. And I just thought that was so cool that that was a connection to, you know, thousands of years ago, to history from such a long time ago. And it was the same sky that they saw. And I just thought it was so cool, (laughs) so cool that, hey buddy, that I was reading these stories and that astronomy made them real.
1: Mm.
0: You know, so I think that for me was the main thing. I just... I loved ancient history and ancient history got me into astronomy and so at uni I did astronomy and ancient history Okay. I did a double degree Mm. so I could do both my passions and (laughs) then did almost nothing with the ancient history I ended up majoring in ancient Greek Mm. by accident
1: Um, did you you find when you were studying that they did overlap
0: yeah there was a lot of overlap I guess in well in the ancient Greek in a lot of the the words, right? Like a lot of the, you know, the word galaxy is from ancient mm. Greek for milk and things like that. Hey, noisy baby. <laughs> um, ancient Greek for milk. Glad you said that. Um, and so there's a lot of overlap there. Mm. And then. I purposefully tried to pick subjects or topics that I could do within a subject that were more on the astronomy side. I did a subject called medieval cosmology,
1: <laughs> which was so cool. Yeah.
0: It was all about, you know, the beliefs in the medieval era, and actually it went back earlier than that, and what they how they thought the universe was structured, and mm. so it went through the heliocentric model, the geocentric model, the... Other weird models that I can't remember what they're called now, but I remember just being blown away by how odd people thought the universe was.
1: <laughs> this might be a weird question, but when you were a kid and having constellations pointed out to you, did you get the saucepan pointed out to you? Yes.
0: <laughs> the saucepan, also known as the shopping trolley. Okay.
1: Because <laughs> I was talking to another person on the podcast, Solange Kunin, who's mm-hmm. running a, a startup called Cube Runner. And I was asking her about how she got interested in space exploration, and she started complaining about her dad pointing out the saucepan, which isn't actually a thing. And then I said, I got pointed at the, at the saucepan. It's
0: because <laughs> so we're lazy in Australia. So what right? is it actually? The saucepan is part of Orion. All right. Got um,
1: but Orion <laughs> is upside
0: down in Australia yeah. because he's the right way up in Greece, where yeah. you know he was originally determined to be. Um, and so the saucepan, the base of the saucepan is actually Orion's belt and the handle of the saucepan is Orion's sword.
1: Okay, good. Um,
0: the middle point of which, of the sword, the three points, is actually not a star. It's a nebula.
1: The there Orion nebula.
0: Just <laughs> a bit of tidbit there. Um, but it basically, I think it's because we're lazy here. We went, you know what? I don't really see that as a man, especially because he's upside down and it's, it's <laughs> kind of doesn't look like anything. But I can see a saucepan, so I'm going to mm. call it that.
1: Well, it's funny that we don't have more awareness of uh, indigenous astronomy. Yeah. If we are looking for an Australian you know, astronomical identity, that's, that's sort of there, yeah. ready to go, right?
0: I think in one of the... I mean, there's so many different cultures, indigenous mm. cultures in Australia anyway, they have different constellations and features in the sky, but one of them at least sees the Orion constellation as a canoe. Mm-hmm. Um, So the three dots of the belt across the middle, they see it as, I think, three brothers sitting in a canoe, possibly, Mm -hmm. um, which is pretty cool. And then the the sword is a paddle. All right. Um, And most people, I think, have heard of the emu in the Milky Way. The Milky
1: Way, yeah, yeah.
0: That's probably the only one that's really known, though, which Mm, is kind of a shame. Mm. Uh, But there's some really cool indigenous astronomy. One of my friends who worked at the observatory as well uh, does research in it, Mm. and he does some really cool... Research because a lot of indigenous astronomy is tells you about well they used to tell them when they should plant certain crops oh, okay. or well, probably not really plant crops most of them didn't plant too many crops but when they <laughs> should uh, look for certain animals that would be ready to be hunted mm. or going to be having babies or
1: yeah, it was their their calendar yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Um, and it was a lot of it was tied to stories within that and that's how mm. they remembered it all which is just fascinating
1: yeah and, and it's something that again it's something that's nice about the interest in astronomy now because we've become detached from that part of our history because Mm -hmm. we can't see it anymore and we're not looking up so it's really nice to hopefully have that connection brought back i mean do you ever think i don't know urban planning will change and we'll start to have stars in the sky again i don't know
0: I doubt it. <laughs> there, are, there is a group, the um, International Dark Skies Awareness Association, mm-hmm. Dark Skies Association. I could have that a little bit wrong. I hope they don't hate me. I work with a lot, <laughs> um, but they have a week called International Dark Skies Week, which happens to fall in April, so in during Gam, uh, and it's all about raising awareness of light pollution, and you know, there are there are types of lights that cities can use that stop the light being directed up towards the sky so they're much more energy efficient because Mm -hmm. the light's going where you need it and it means that the skies are darker so there is a push but i think with the you know somewhere like sydney with the amount of high density housing going in i mean i live in an apartment that's in a very high dense area high density area that i just it's not going to be possible Mm -hmm. we had earth hour on saturday night i was in melbourne at the time and i looked out our hotel window and there was a few places with their lights off, but mm. there was so many places that couldn't for safety reasons, like Southern Cross Station was right near where we were, and it was lit up
1: like yeah. a Christmas tree,
0: because they have to.
1: Even just streetlights, I guess, a safety <coughs> issue as well, but I was going to ask too, when you, so you've studied astronomy, mm-hmm. and at what point did science communication become a career path?
0: Well, I'd never heard of science communication until I Mm. um, got to university. I didn't know it was a a thing. didn't know anything about it. It didn't occur to me. It was a job I could do. Um, And then in my first year of uni, I was sitting in my physics class. And this guy walks into the room and says, all right, I need volunteers to help out with Open Day. We're Mm. going to be running some hands-on demos for uh, people to come along and play with. And we want some students to teach people about them and and run Mm. them and you'll get a free lunch and free dinner great and that's very appealing to a uni student so I (laughs) I went all right I'm in so I put my hand up um, and I went on that day and I had such a good time Mm. it was amazing so talking to these kids about liquid nitrogen and And really, really, a lot of it was very simple things that, you know, I'd seen before because I'd studied physics, but Mm. for a lot of people, it was completely new. (laughs) Oh, yes. And that, for me, was really exciting, just seeing, just having someone discover something new like that and just learning a new piece about the world. Yeah. So I was hooked from that day. And then I started working through the uni for Kickstart, Mm -hmm. which is a program for high school students that come on campus and do hands-on activities that they wouldn't be able to do at school, but a part of the syllabus. So things like liquid nitrogen or that use high voltages or just things school wouldn't necessarily have the equipment for.
1: Mm.
0: So we would run groups of school kids, groups of school kids through those. And, uh, that for me was really, really good. And then from that, I started working at Sydney observatory, which I loved Mm. doing night tours with people and just seeing people get so excited Mm. by astronomy and being able to I got to talk about my passion. I just got to stand in front of people and talk for two hours about things that I found interesting. Mm. Like that's—I mean—that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, we should actually clarify. So, your your day job is as a science communicator at University of Technology yes. Sydney, Sydney, correct? And running all the different outreach yep. programs that they do. Mm. This might be a—I don't know—a name question, but. Now that you're a full-time science communicator, do you still call yourself a scientist?
0: I hesitate to. Really? Um, I think a lot of people go with the policy of if you think about the world and are continuing to try to learn that you're still a scientist. But I do feel that I don't really do research research. Mm-hmm. I mostly am trying to bring science to people. Mm-hmm. So depending on who I'm talking to will adjust how I call myself. <laughs>
1: um, if
0: I'm talking to a scientist who is an actual active researching scientist, then no, I won't call myself a scientist. Okay. Um, if I'm talking to a, a kid, then often I will say I am because mm. they won't know the phrase science communicator as well. Mm. And, but they will know what a scientist does. or They will know what science is at least. And that's yep. a good opening for them. Um, If I'm talking to someone from a different field to me, I might call myself a physicist, Mm -hmm. more to explain my background. But I hesitate to say those things in case they indicate I'm actively researching when I'm not.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it doesn't matter, really, at the end Mm. of the day, and probably because the word or the phrase "science communicator" is I don't know what does that mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's so many different types, and everybody does it. Yeah, science communication is an
0: incredibly broad field that people outside of that field don't realize is that broad. Because mm. um, you can be—I mean, I did tours at the observatory, but then I did shows for high school kids through Questacon, which were very different roles. Mm. Um, I now run an outreach program, so I don't actually do too much science communication on that program. I talk to the kids at the start, mm-hmm. but then I have students that I've trained to actually run the workshops. So yeah, that's yeah. a different role entirely. Uh, sometimes I write stuff again, a different type of science communication. Yeah. I, I make posts on social media on the various Facebook pages I run, mm-hmm. and again, that's a very different style. So I guess and the
1: fundamental skills come down to yeah. just being able to put science in an approachable way. Yeah,
0: there are definitely very <laughs> core relate, like core skills there that are common to all of them, but they're very varied roles. Mm.
1: And now you're doing outreach stuff with. Uh, Astronomers Without Borders. Yes,
0: so I'm on maternity leave at the moment from UTS Mm -hmm. Uh, but continuing to work for AWB because it's work from home and it Mm -hmm. lets me still feel productive and it's something I'm incredibly passionate about.
1: Well tell us about the organisation, what do they do?
0: So they're an international not-for-profit and like uh, Doctors Without Borders or Engineers Without Borders, they try and bring in this case education and astronomy outreach Mm -hmm. to the world as opposed to medicine and construction and engineering feats yep. uh, and the, the idea being that if you can engage people through astronomy you can get them interested more in education and if we can bring resources to developing countries that maybe don't have those resources we can really help and make a big difference there because if you can improve mm. people's education mm. you can make a huge change in their life
1: Yeah.
0: so that's what we do so we've got a really big campaign at the moment for example because there's a big eclipse coming up mm. uh, later on in the year in uh, the northern hemisphere we don't get to see it in sydney sadly Uh, and so a big part of that campaign is to get um, eclipse glasses to all of the countries that are and to school kids in particular that are going to get to see this eclipse so they can put on the glasses they can look up at the sun safely Mm -hmm. and get to experience something that otherwise they wouldn't be able to yeah and they do a whole range of different programs so another one we do is the big project which is an acronym for Big Impact Giving. Yes, it's an acronym where big is big. It's a Classic. recursive acronym. Uh, and that's, it's crowdfunding, so like uh, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, those yep. sorts of things, through Fiat Physica, which is a science-based crowdfunding website. Mm-hmm. And we do microfunding. So we raise a limit of $500 for groups, to help them make a difference. Yeah. And it's amazing how much of a difference $500 can make. Yeah. Um, one of my favourite ones that we did was we raised some funds for a teacher slash professor in the Amazon who wanted to do uh, a viewing of the sun with school mm. kids there. And because these kids came by boat, wow. they had to come down the river from their villages to school. Mm. Uh, so it, was, it took a long time and they only did half days he wasn't able to do nighttime viewing with all the kids because the kids that, that they were there in the morning weren't going to come back in the evening for viewing. Mm. So a solar telescope was a better option. Um, but also that these these students have a lot of religion around the sun. Mm. Uh, and so th- he was trying to help them learn that they could look at the sun safely through a telescope
1: mm. and
0: teach them. And uh, So we raised the money to get a telescope to him and he sent us photos back of all of these students using the telescope and just being amazed by what they could see and it obviously had such a big impact on their lives and for us you know we think 500 dollars is not that much but it can make a huge difference Mm. and that for me is i just think that's so cool yeah
1: and it's it's yeah i'm hearing lots more about uh, different stem not-for-profits that you think are are big businesses and you think stem is a big business and so why do we need a not-for-profit and it's really nice because it 's about getting education and knowledge mm. to people that wouldn't have it yep otherwise and it's happening with your programming or numeracy and your astronomy and engineering all yeah. that sort of stuff and it's...
0: I mean we helped fund a radio fund a radio program in Haiti so mm. they were doing um, astronomy themed it was a radio show based on astronomy and they talk about education and uh, one of the reasons they wanted to do it was because there was a lot of um, superstition around astronomy Mm -hmm. and they wanted to try and bring some science into the field Mm. and they needed not a lot of money but they needed the money to cover using a a studio and actually getting the program out to people
1: yeah
0: and they just couldn't afford it themselves they'd have to be out of pocket these individuals and they just couldn't do it Mm -hmm. they came to us and said this is what we need it's not that much but can you help us yeah and we got them that money, and they're now on their second season of their radio show, which is <laughs> just great. so awesome to see. And, you know, they're really happy with what they're doing, and they, they're making a difference. Yeah.
1: So if people want to find out more about Astronomers Without Borders, they can just jump on the website.
0: Yeah, It's astronomerswithoutborders.org. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a Facebook page, which is Astronomers Without Borders. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty easy to find. Just Google us. We'll come up.
1: <laughs> and Global Astronomy Month.
0: Global Astronomy Month.
1: Next Well, this month, hopefully, when the podcast uh, goes out. It's
0: on the 1st of January. Oh, 1st of January. 1st of (laughs) April. Very, very confused about what month it is, clearly. Uh, 1st of (laughs) April with our Global Star Party, and then we will have events throughout the month. We've Mm -hmm. got um, some really cool uh, hangouts. We're going to do a um, a webinar about uh, METI, which Mm -hmm. is like SETI, but it's actually messaging extraterrestrials. So it's about whether we should be trying to talk to aliens, Mm -hmm. whether... Is that risky or not? Mm. Um, And there's a documentary that these two filmmakers made about the METI program. And it's really going to be really interesting. And that's going to be a a live discussion with them. All right. So that should be good fun. We're going to have lots of videos going out on the Facebook page as well.
1: And all the events are listed on all these. All the events are on the website. So you can
0: go to the Astronomers That Borders website or just Google Global Astronomy Month. Mm -hmm. It'll come up.
1: All right, well, I should probably let you go. Felix is
0: being Felix fidgety. <laughs> He's getting very fidgety, aren't you, Bubby?
1: <laughs> but if people want to hear more from you, they can check out Stempunk yep. as well. Can you just Google Stempunk
0: yep. Podcast? Um, we're Stempunk3 on Twitter. <laughs> Tom has a very good reason for making it Steampunk Three, but you'd have to ask him because I didn't quite follow the reasoning. Three of I think it's because there's three of us, but I think it makes it sound like we were the third Steampunk.
1: Oh, so there wasn't two others.
0: <laughs> there aren't. No, okay. I'm pretty sure it's just because there are three of us. Um, but we have a Facebook page and Twitter. Just yep. look up Steampunk on both of those, and uh, keep an eye out for when I eventually get some of my international astronomy crowd on those
1: podcasts <laughs> Sounds amazing alright well thanks so much Christy for coming on the podcast thank you and thank you everyone for listening you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Stitcher if you want to help us out jump on iTunes and drop us a review we're on Twitter with a handle at Institute of Science I'm on Twitter with a handle at thank you very much and we'll see you next time